Hey, everybody, we got a brand new format for you today. It's called the Countdown to Atala. We're five months out from Atala, the Swimmer World Championship. So we're going to go give you a full in-depth look about what we're thinking about and how we're feeling and got some really cool guests lined up for you to focus on a particular thing that we're focusing on this month. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Plus a new theme song. Welcome to the Low Tide Boys, a swim run podcast. I'm Chip. And I'm Chris. And this is episode 118 of the show. So so what are we doing here? So we thought, you know, when we started the show in, in 2020, our thought was to help grow the sport, but also share our journey. And in that spirit, we figured we might as well put it all out there <laughs> now that we have a chance to race what's going to be one of the crazier events that we've ever done. And that's uh, after a long list of ultras, double centuries turkey trot all sorts of craziness um iron man's all kinds of stuff but uh but yeah i think the way we're thinking about it is atala is a quest and we really feel privileged to get the opportunity to go do it a race that we've been talking about and thinking about for a long time and seen a ton of videos and um yeah we figured we put it all out there and take you along our journey and we're, we're five months out Yes, yeah, so one episode a month for the next five months is going to be dedicated to this format, and we'll you, we'll sort of check in, and we're going to go through how are we feeling, things were, were we we found interesting, uh, nutrition, gear, all sort of stuff, really particular and specific to us and our journey to uh, to love the Swimmer World Championship in September. Yeah, and we this episode is made possible. We actually have supporters, which yes, is, which is amazing. We need to so, thank them. Yeah, we'd love to thank Odyssey Swim Run for supporting us really since the beginning. Frank Paddle, absolutely best Frank carbon Paddle. fiber paddles in love the world, him. and uh, and Precision Fuel and Hydration, which um, that that'll that'll make a lot of sense later. We have some really great guests on the show that we'll be introducing in a little bit, but you know, there, there's one thing that Chipper and I would do anytime there was a big workout or a race. I think it was usually me, but. It was usually you, yeah. Where I would just text them and be like, how's the body, the mind? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we figured for this, it's like, hey, we're five months out from this It's a this good race. check-in for us. Yeah, let's, how are you feeling about all this? Yeah. So I know we, we sort of talked about this a little bit. Uh, you know, we have our own how's, how's the body, how's the mind sessions that were not, <laughs> <laughs> not taped or not recorded, rather. But yeah, I think right now I'm just feeling super pumped for it. I, our, our, our training, we're now in our fourth month of kind of ramping since January, feeling like the body has picked up kind of where we left off after the recovery. I feel, you know, I feel good, really excited for swim run like James coming up in April, had a great time at the Catalina kind of swim run camp. And I, mm-hmm. I just got all the good like swim run juices flowing, like physically. Uh, that's how, that's how I'm feeling. That's the body part. How's your body feel? <laughs> body, body feels good. Body feels good. I think that, um, I mean, I've noticed it in our training. Like, I think we're both super motivated. Yeah. And and putting in the work. And, you know, one thing that we were talking about sort of offline is, you know, our, our, our mission of the show is essentially try to help grow the sport, but then also chronicle our journey while mm-hmm. trying to have as much fun as possible in the process. And I feel like the way I'm, the where, where my mind is at now and where I want to kind of keep it is having this sort of dual track where we're preparing for this thing to be as best prepared as possible at that start line so that when we get there, we can have as much fun as possible. Because for us, 
if I can speak for you, Chip, bro, yeah. this is going to be like going to Disneyland. It's going to be like a you know ten to fourteen hour <laughs> Disneyland <laughs> day at Disneyland, where we're going to be able to retrace these steps and, like mentioned at the beginning, you know, go on this quest that not that many people have gone on. Uh, the sport is still super young, but you know, we clearly love the sport, and it's such a great. You know, it's just going to be so much fun. Yeah, and I love the way that you put that, like going to Disneyland. And when we were talking the other night, it was we're like, oh, we're preparing like our training, like we're going to go to war. Mm -hmm. But we know the second that we get to Sweden, we're at Disneyland. Yeah. And we just want to be as as prepped as we can. I think if we're able to like maintain that mindset and that includes like what we talked about too, like flexibility for, hey, we're not going to be able to make every workout for the next nine months and mm -hmm. it being okay for you or me to go, hey, I need to sleep in. I'm feeling whatever. Or the kids right. kept me up or whatever. Like we need to kind of keep that bit of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. The mind is feeling very like dialed in, excited, engaged for sure. Mm -hmm. And something else that we kind of talked about, um, you know, we brought it up again, like with the cold water practices that we've been having in our last couple of swim runs is like, this, what what we're kind of saying is like go, go, going Goggins. Yeah. So David Goggins, if you don't know, uh, our our good our favorite journalist Adam Skolnick, um, helped pin Goggins. Uh, can't hurt me. Yeah, can't hurt me. Uh, the sensation, worldwide sensation. Check it out. Now published all, in Spanish. All sorts of languages there, but basically Goggins is just some like mental freak. That he j he just says something in his mind, he's able to overcome his mental. So that's what mm -hmm. he can overcome it mentally. So that's kind of what we're doing. Like, hey, the water's going to be cold. Let's goggins this shit, and let's just do the work. Get in there and do, do it. The work. Um, and I think we got to kind of keep keep that that in. I think that's sort of helping us a little bit. Um, and but but I think to that point though, I think I think where we're at now is I feel like we have a good balance. Where, yeah. for example, I went to a Warriors game on Wednesday and yeah. Thursday we had a really hard swim. And I don't know how many, maybe five times I, was, I <laughs> just looked over. I'm like, I'm dying, dude, dude I'm dying. But yeah. it's just like, you know, I went in and just did the best I could. Same thing, like a track Wednesday morning. Just like, you know, I could, I texted Chipper this. is like, oh man, I heard you huffing and puffing. And that just got me super motivated because I know you're putting in the work yeah. and it just makes me want to work harder. And I know you're doing it for the team, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm doing. But while at the same time, our pool got canceled. We're recording this on a Sunday and Chipper found a pool like at eight. And I'm like, I can't go because I promised the kids I'm making challah French toast, yeah. which was bomb. I know. I was like, is there going to be leftovers? No, it's swim? gone. Damn. Oh, hell no. Okay. It's gone. But, uh, but yeah, but it's finding that balance where it's like, hey, I want to be as prepared for this as possible, but I'm still prioritizing my family, still doing everything I need to do and trying not to put this race on some sort of – I mean, it's already on a pedestal because it's a world championship. Yeah, but don't let the pedestal get too high. Like exactly. a giant sequoia redwood here. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, that flexibility. And I know, hey, you're not making the swim. I know you're good for it. And same thing, There's gonna, it's going to come back my way as well. And something that, we, that I also kind of like the, the mindset for these workouts is every swim and track workout we get, I'm like, this thing is a ball buster. Like it's a killer mm -hmm. hour swim set. And the way I'm trying to approach the really be really intentional about these workouts is like, listen, we're getting up at fucking five in the morning, multiple majority of the week. And I'm going to in the dark, freeze my ass off, <laughs> get up, be picked up early, go run, swim. And I'm not going to give my best effort that I have in the pool. I'm going to wake up and spend all that time 
and then like half-ass it on the workout, that's craziness. Mm -hmm. So I've like committed to myself. I'm putting just like you did. Maybe you were a little sluggish or whatever. Who cares? You did the best that you could because on race day, we might not feel perfect. We got to put the best that we can. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, like I was saying, I mentally i feel like as a team we're in a really good place and really vibing our communication is really great and i i think you know everything that we've done leading up to sort of this build um is going to inform this experience that we're hoping is going to be super positive and you know goal number one is kind of staying on our feet um but earlier this week chipper you sent me um the rich roll race report for (laughs) for when they did it in 2017 which was the the gnarly year yeah if you don't know what we're talking about nasty year we'll we'll link the youtube video from rasmus in the show notes um the hype movie for that one because it was it was an epic day and at first i was like oh this will be super cool listen to it and it was funny because i had a lot of mixed reactions because it was a hard day and the way they describe it is very different than, than we usually hear the race being described. Yeah. Mostly like, it's, you know, basically it was not to spoil it for anyone, but it was a ball buster for him. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I felt like when I was first listening to it, I was like, damn, why is Chipper, why Chipper suggests this? Like, it's kind of getting me out of the zone. But by the time I was done with it, it actually got me even more in the zone. because so I was like, yeah, they had a really hard day. And you know what? That could be us too. And you, you have to be prepared you for, be ready for, it. for, for do, to, to do that. And I think, you know, the take home from that podcast and people should listen to it. I think it's episode 333 or something. 313. I 313. Think. Um, is that it's a long day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, long day. a long day. You're, you could feel bad. You could feel great. And, and as long as you're committed to continue to move forward and doing the best you can, you will get to the other side. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. And I remember listening to that race report, if you will, when it came out in 2017. And this would have been before... We would have done any yeah. swim runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, that seems pretty crazy. And that the accompanying New York Times article that Adam Skolnick wrote uh, sort of had that up, like looking at the pictures and kind of reading along as I was listening. It was a cool kind of experience. And obviously there was videos and stuff of it as well. Um, but, yeah, it was really good. And to kind of hear also how swim run has grown since that has happened and, and everything is is pretty neat. So five years later, we're – we're uh, doing it as well. But yeah, I mean, I think the day that they set out to go in terms of how fast they went or whatever, I think probably maybe would have missed the mark for them, I I think. Mm -hmm. But they had a really great time. And if you hear them talking about the race, even though they didn't have the best day that they knew they could have, they had the best day ever. Right, yeah, the greatest endurance the greatest experience, experience you that know, they've ever of, had. Yeah, so. yeah, and I want that. I want that experience. I mean, I think we're obviously super stoked on Swim Run, and I think one of the things we want to do with this show is kind of just be transparent about sort of our mental state and as we're building up to this and sort of bring everyone along this journey. Um, but we also thought it'd be helpful to be like, hey, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement yeah. um, on, every, on, on everything. There's always room for improvement. So we thought, well, why don't we bring on guests that can help us sort of understand the course, understand what we need to do to prepare. Um, so we have a couple awesome guests lined up. Basically, we're trying to be like sponges. Yeah. If you haven't noticed, we're trying to be like giant low tide sponges soaking up everything <laughs> that comes in surrounding Atala to, you know, to be as prepared as possible, I guess. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. Going... Totally. 
So our first guest is Anna Lundberg, mm-hmm. and she reached out to us pretty much right after we we qualified and we were all on the, you know, she DM'd us and she was like, oh my God, super stoked for you guys. And if you ever want a perspective of the female perspective from someone who's not winning and you want to learn more about cutoffs and things like that, you know, happy to talk to you. And we were just immediately were like, yes, Do it, we yeah. definitely want that perspective because it's true. We have interviewed a lot of people that are sort of on the pointy end. And it'd be great to hear sort of mid-pack, what's that experience like? So she was awesome enough to come on. Yeah. So we're going to kick it over to our conversation that we had a few weeks ago with Anna, and then we'll bring it right back. All right. We're super stoked to have Anna Lundberg come on the show. She has raced Atala twice. She reached out to us when we found out that we had gotten in and started posting on Instagram, congratulating us. And basically, and she gave us a, a really interesting uh, idea, which was like, hey, we know you've gotten a lot of advice from the pros, from the pointy end, but how about some advice from people that are trying to fight the cutoffs, chasing cutoffs and things like that? And, we, and I was like, that's such an amazing idea. Mm-hmm. I asked her to come on. And here she is. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 super stoked as well. Again, thank you so much for congratulating us and welcoming us to come to Sweden and do the World Championship, and also for being willing to share your insight with with us and to our listeners who might be racing for the first time or or who knows. But um, I guess the first question is, uh, you know, how are you and how did you get into swim run? Um, yeah, uh, so um, I'm I'm actually still recovering from COVID. I I caught COVID oh, wow. five weeks ago, so oh, still no. trying wow. to get into shape. Um, but slowly, slowly, uh, it's progressing. But it, it's been really tough, actually. Um, but um, I started um, in swim run. Now it's been five years ago, actually. So um, I live in Gothenburg uh, in Sweden and uh, I was out uh, trail running and, and started seeing people in wetsuits running around. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's uh, when my husband actually said that um, hmm, we probably need to check out what they're doing. Um, so uh, we um, uh, went to a local shop here and, and bought our first suits. And uh, at that time, I didn't know how to do freestyle swimming at all. I never tried it in my life, uh, but my husband has. Wow. So he he gave me some tips and advice, and um, I uh, I went to a, a face group uh, Facebook group for uh, uh, women in swim run, and um, that's where I saw a uh, shout out uh, from Ulrika, uh, who I've been mm-hmm, competing mm-hmm. with, and uh, she asked uh, uh, for a partner, and. Um, I replied to her and said, yeah, um, I'm willing to try. I, I've only been swimming for a couple of weeks, but uh, <laughs> the running. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that's where I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, it seems like I think it definitely was safe to say that you picked up the swimming no problem here. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I've been uh, taking swimming lessons uh, ever since that. Actually, I I go on classes with the uh, team coaching. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've been in her classes uh, since then, actually. So um, I uh, I still have a lot to learn. <laughs> 
Sure, sure. And sw- swimming seems one of those things that there's always incremental gains to be made, no matter yeah. how high or how successful you go. Even the the top of the top or yeah, you know their yeah. their gains are fractions of of milliseconds and uh, a mm-hmm. little bit different. But I think swimming's always there's always room for, for yeah. room for improvement there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> nice. So you're you you got your husband got you out there. Were, were you guys in sport before, or just you? We'd always go out, hit the trails. Love kind of being in nature. And... Uh, yes, I I've always been sort of active in, in different ways, but I'm um, I actually played a lot of golf uh, when I was a teenager. Um, and, and competed in golf, and I uh, also did some orienteering. Um, so I was I was oh. kind of used to running in in nature, uh, mm-hmm. but um, it was it was almost always just for for fun and, and for keeping a good health sort of. Um, so uh, hey, that's uh, that's why we do it. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. That's why. It's a good reason. <laughs> so, 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 Anna. So, pretty much like you started, like you said, five years ago, and pretty soon you raced the world championship, 2019, and then again in 2021. So, um, yeah. Why don't you tell us, as I guess, looking back to when you qualified the first year, mm-hmm. um, where Chipper and I are at the point where it's like we don't even know like we have sort of like general i'll say like general fear of the unknown kind of thing like we know it's going to be a big day we know it's going to be a huge challenge yeah but it's almost like we don't know what we don't know Mm -hmm. so ignorance is bliss a little bit um but we'd love to hear kind of like what was your experience sort of training for the world championship the first year and maybe anything that you know sort of surprised you in that process yeah so the so the first year um we um uh, got to know that we had a spot in end of July, because uh, oh yeah, so we we, uh, we wow <laughs> a couple months to uh, cram. That's how I did school. Yeah, it was like oh yeah, we got the final a couple weeks. Better get going on the studying. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, so we, we applied uh, for um, um, uh, for the ranking applications, um, but we didn't get a spot in February. Um, we were sort of the next in line. Uh, and uh, oh. so we, we realized that if someone uh, cancels, um, they probably ask us. Uh, so everyone told us that, yeah, you need to prepare as if you're going to do it, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which was uh, a bit difficult mentally just to to know that you might uh, be doing it. But uh, end of July, we, we realized that, oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. to do this race in just a few weeks. Um, wow. Yeah. So, but I, I had prepared um, by doing uh, several long runs and uh, also swimming quite a lot. So uh, I think we were both sort of prepared physically, um, and mm-hmm. then uh, mentally. When when we knew that we got the spot, we actually um, reached out to Oscar Olson uh, mm-hmm. and asked him for uh, an hour uh, of just. Uh, Picking his brain, <laughs> the best advice. We did the same thing. Exactly, <laughs> uh, and uh, he went through the course with us and, and gave us some uh, training advice for the last couple of weeks. Uh, so that was really love cool. it. Uh, so oh. yeah, uh, just getting to know the course. Um, I also watched some videos from um, Nicola uh, in Team Envol um, mm-hmm. uh, that are on YouTube. So. Um, just to just get a feel for for the course um, and 
for us, the, since we were not really good swimmer, it, it, it was really good to sort of just mentally prepare for where the really long swims are. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I love your, how you're, this is kind of how Chris and I are feeling right now. We're trying to be just giant sponges and absorb as much information. That sounds like the same sort of aspect that, that you tried there. Yeah. When when you were approaching uh, the world championship or Atala, the swim run world championship, as it's known, which part were you were you most sort of concerned with? Was it the, the 12, 13 hours of, of activity or was it the mental aspect of it or the, or the, the technical nature of the course kind of what aspect did you feel like you really had the most uncertainty with? Um, for us, I think it was uh, whether we would make the cutoffs at all. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, we, we've been doing some long trail runs before, so I wasn't that, uh, scared about the, the endurance aspects of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, Today is the day where the the big cross cross country skiing race in Sweden is Vasaloppet. Um, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I that's did right. that once, so I know I could go on for like uh, 10, 11 hours. Uh, so I I wasn't afraid of that part. Um, and uh, we're both sort of trail runners, so the the technical terrain. Well, we never thought that would be an issue. So it, it was mm-hmm. the the swims uh, and uh, sort of the cold. Uh, see yeah yeah even um, though the, the year we did it the first time everyone said it was really warm uh it was i think it was 17 degrees in the water but um yeah that's where we did I, our biggest mistakes we didn't bring our sleeves um uh, the first time. Uh, okay so we got okay. really really cold uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, we can just chalk that up on the list of tips, right? It's yep. just like, bring everything. Yeah, just like, <laughs> you know, it. just, bring it just assume it's going to be cold. Yeah, just assume it's going to be cold, whether at the beginning, the middle, the end, like you don't know, just bring it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, since, uh, by the end of the race, you're really, really tired and you're not able to, to run as fast as you need in order to get up the heat again after the long swims. Mm. So, uh, yeah, um, bring your sleeves. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really yeah. good point. That something that you don't think about, even if the the air temperature or the forecast is supposed to be a little bit nicer, if you're not running and maybe you're taking a walk break or you're hiking it out or something, yeah, yeah your body doesn't have the chance to kind of recharge everything. And we noticed that a little bit when we did uh, Catalina, Otila Catalina, now two years yeah. ago, yeah. there was a big section that was sort of covered from it wasn't getting any sun exposure but it was a big hill and we thought oh we'll be fine here mm-hmm. but it ended up we ended up getting really too cold and we had to kind of bundle back up put our swim caps up to try to to try to get yeah. some heat in the mm-hmm. body again yeah that, that's a that's a really good um yeah i remember i i could barely f- sort of uh, sense my hands uh, at one point so i Ooh. put them under my armpit under my wetsuit in order to get some heat into the hands <laughs> Uh, wow! Yeah, it was really wow. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, so 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 you do the first race. Obviously, you 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 finish the course. You finished in under thirteen hours. Um, is there anything like sort of like immediately after the the race where you're like, um, we could have done this better. We should have done this different. Besides the arm sleeves. Besides <laughs> yeah, besides arm sleeves. Um. Yeah. So. 
uh, Ulrika, who I raced with, um, she actually got some problems when we got to um, Urna. Uh, so she she got this SIPE, uh, SIPE, um, where you start coughing and uh, you get like water in your lungs. Um, oh. So, and don't really know why, but maybe because she was too cold. Um, so um, we actually walked most part of Urna. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, so uh, that that's one of the reasons for why we said, yeah, we need to do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we wanted to do some kind of revenge. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Which it, you got. It, you did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, f- from the first year to the second year, you dropped forty minutes off of uh, off nice. of your time, which yeah. is you know, it's pretty uh, good. But we still walked on Urna. I can tell you. <laughs> 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 but the, the second time it was uh, because of myself. Because um, last year when we did it, um, I had an injury during the spring, so I I didn't even run at all during April, May, and June. Um, so, uh, I was not okay. in shape last time, <laughs> but okay, so you, yeah, so, um, when we got to Orna, I was such in pain, so we just had to walk again, <laughs> but yeah, right. you can still make it. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about sort of chasing cutoffs. I mean, that's when you reached out to us, you're like, Hey, yeah. Let's give you a different perspective from the people like from the Oscars like, you know, of the world. Yeah, Oscar yeah. <laughs> Oscar himself will say like he doesn't know what the cutoffs are, no. right? Cuz that's just that's just not so what he's not, worried about. Yeah. Um so, you know, bless him. <laughs> but for us uh for us mere mortals, um, you know, cutoffs are, are a reality. So, what uh what what advice do you have for us and for people who might be racing um Atala later yeah. later in the year around but, that? Um, the first cutoff is at 9. Um uh, three hours into the race. And um, I don't think that is a cutoff to really, um, uh, you have to care about. Uh, We were way ahead of that cutoff and uh, you're still sort of got a lot of energy when you get there. So um, uh, Mm -hmm. I think you don't have to care so much about the first one. Um, The second one is the toughest, I would say. It's the 11-15 cutoff. Uh, and uh, I think we had like 15 minutes um, to hmm. to that one, and um, that's sort of yeah, five hours into the race. Um, what, what makes that one so so tough? Um, I think it's just yeah, um, it's very very close. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, like it's a little bit aggressive. And for folks at home, so that's the one in Namdo. There's Nam-do. a lot of s- swimming in between those. Yeah, yeah there's a. I mean, there's there's some pretty big. There's okay. a there's a couple big swims, but there's also a decent amount of running, getting from the cutoff at 9 a.m. on Run Moreau to uh, to to Namdo. Yeah. No, I think that that's sort of the the most aggressive one, and it's it's in the middle of the day, and I think the the race organizations uh, feel that if you don't make that one, uh, it will be really, really tough to do the rest. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the one to look out for. Um, uh, because then after that one, we had a lot of time for the others. Uh, so even though mm-hmm. we only had like 
10 or 15 uh, to the to the second one. We had like an hour uh, to the last one. Uh. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I, I guess that, that makes, I mean, just the way you described it is, you know, the race or you know, they, they, they don't want people out there super late. So if you yeah. can't make a, a, like an aggressive cutoff earlier in the race, you're going to have a um, really hard time. You're going to have a really yeah, hard time. Yeah. Yeah, and then then later it's like, all right, well, you know, maybe you're getting close to the cutoffs, but it isn't like you're, you know, sort of you're the also closer to the finish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I remember the first time there when Rika had problems, I was kind of checking my watch and trying to estimate can we can we do the last cutoff even though we are just walking in the speed and I was trying. Yeah, you're really tired, but still you want your brain to sort of calculating. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it's the worst place for me. Yeah, uh, but I realized when we got to to the church there and the energy station that all right, yeah, we have enough time. We can actually walk to the last cutoff, and then we can sort of just, yeah, uh, sort of jog it in, jog it in, or just crawl on our knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's interesting. I mean talking about cutoffs. So there's a cutoff like basically when you get to Orna. Yeah. And then there's one at then there's one in the, at the end. So yeah. they're basically giving you, you know, the cutoff is at uh fifteen thirty yeah. to when you get to Orna and then to leave Orna you have to be done with that island by eighteen hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So, so two and a half hours for yeah, like oh, if like so so if, you, if you're like chasing cutoffs, to me it seems to me like if you're just barely hitting the cutoff at Orno, like note to self, you better be running. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna have to run, I, or it's just not gonna have, happen. We've had three hours on Orna, uh, both mm-hmm. times we've done it. Uh, so yeah, you need to um, okay. to have some extra time when you get to Orna, for sure. So, a little bit contrary to sort of how traditional race pacing or uh you know would be or strategically would be is you know oh don't start the race too fast don't go out too fast and and burn a lot of energy and then you're kind of fading off towards the end Mm -hmm. do you did you two have to kind of think about it almost the reverse about maybe we do need to put a little bit more effort in toward to get to to through that second cutoff to kind of give you a little bit more space and you know the mental uh, the mental load, I guess, of the, or the pressure of, of trying to hit those cutoffs. Did you kind of adjust your your race strategy at all to be a little bit quicker in the beginning? Uh, yeah, we knew, we knew that our strengths was the real technical trail, uh, and there's quite a lot of that in the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. So we knew that, yeah, we could probably sort of uh, go a bit faster there. Um, and then Orna, which is not as technical, that's where... <laughs> We're not going to be so strong, so um, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think yeah that was kind of. And then I did. Um, I actually wrote down sort of uh, times for each uh, swim and each run, uh, depending a little bit if it was technical trail or if it was flat. Or and I think I estimated the swimming sort of two minutes per hundred meter for us. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had some. Yeah, you know, you see that sheet with all the times and distances. They have one fast mm-hmm. and one slow. And uh, yep. I did something in between, sort of. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that, that sheet and uh, what you're referring to is uh, on the Attila website yeah. on the World Championship yeah. page. There's a times and distances mm-hmm. PDF, which um, I've already printed out and it's like posted to my fridge. 
just because... We're getting it tattooed next week. <laughs> but yeah, on on that sheet, it has sort of, you know, what, what people on the pointy end or the fast end are going to be and where you are sort of on the quote-unquote slow end. Yeah. Um, now... You know, this race is is it's a long day. It's a big day. Obviously, if you're uh, super fast, it's a faster day than, than for others. But um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you manage your nutrition? Yeah. Because that's definitely something that we're going to be super vigilant on. I would love to hear sort of what your experience was on that. Yeah, so um, I I juice uh, gel from from Warden uh, that I know works for me. Um, but then I, I stop at every aid station and eat as much as I can. <laughs> uh, drink and eat as much as I, I can uh, on each station. Um, and then in between, I, I take gels as well. Um, but I think that uh, that is a good advice for, for anyone who's sort of in the, in the end of the race, that take your time and, and really fuel up because um, that, that will really make a difference uh, whether you will make it to the end if you have enough energy or not (laughs) yeah yeah if you don't have enough gas in the tank it doesn't matter uh, how good you're feeling if you don't have enough (laughs) gas to power the engine you're you're not going to be going too too awful quick anywhere um and so you had the gels was just kind of a you know quick uh quick shot of energy and i have noticed through the videos and everything that we've been watching a lot of quote-unquote real food you know bananas mm-hmm. and bars and things yeah. like that at the aid station so yeah you you kind of get a nice mix of of those two um exactly that, type, that was types of food yeah so i had um i had the gels in a soft flask so you don't have to sort of tear off every gel um yeah it's easier to have them in the soft flask um, and then uh, as soon as there were an aid station, I took bananas or bars or, yeah. Uh, in the end, you don't really feel like you want to eat something, but you still need to get in something. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Did, did you set a, we, we got advice from, um, from Diane uh, on a show a few weeks ago mm-hmm. about just setting a timer. So like every 30 minutes, like her watch would go off and, and, and eat. Is that something what you did or you just kind of just paying attention and, and try to make sure that you were getting? Uh, no, that's food? what I'm used to from, from trail running as well. I, I take every, something like every 20, 30 minutes or so. Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for the pig swim, uh, you take one gel just before and then one after. <laughs> Yeah, and the Twix. Yeah, Twix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, that's that's the an Oscar special right there. Like yeah. you know, take a fucking gel. Yeah. Take the fucking gel <laughs> right, right before uh, the pig swim. Uh, awesome, awesome. I, I, um, I didn't think the pig swim was that difficult. Actually, I thought the the there's a long swim after that, like thousand meters. I thought that was more difficult actually, uh, because. Because of the cold, I think we we didn't really manage to to get up the heat after the pig swim uh, there. So um, mm. there's a long one after a uh, couple of yeah. kilometers, but, and that was really gonna... really cold. I remember we actually yeah. changed half half the distance. We actually changed who was in front because uh, the the one who was in the back was so cold. <laughs> yeah, that. That's a great consideration. Are you, are you usually leading the swims then? Um, um, nowadays, um, uh, the last time we did the race, I, I, I led the swims, but the first time we did it, Ulrika led the swims. So, uh, yeah. 
Okay. It's, it's gotcha. changed over the years. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I remember we, we took turns as well just to, to keep up the heat um, for like shorter swims as well. So uh, we took turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I think that's a really smart consideration. You know, I th- what we've what we've experienced a lot when we're racing is, yeah, the person in the back you get a nice you get a nice break. I love being so, in the so back, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Some of us more than others, Chris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you you do get chilly back there. You do get really cold. Yeah, you do. That's my problem. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I was cold at Orcas. I was freezing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so the swim you're talking about, that's the Gets Gets God. Uh, yes, swim. correct. It's 900 yeah. and 970 yeah. meters. Yeah. yeah, that's um that's essentially the last the last big swim of the day because yeah. after that, mm-hmm. um you know, and this we've heard this from multiple people. Like basically, once you get to Orna and through Orna, the race is basically you just have to make sure you're not you get you just got to stay upright. Yeah, and don't keep fall over. Forward. Don't yeah. But uh, but the last bit is sort of the victory lap um, to get to to get to Uta, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, it's really really technical uh, trait mm-hmm. last bit. Uh, there's a lot of small islands you have to pass, and uh, last year it was almost like climbing on one of the islands. They put put up some ropes, so you actually had to uh, to use them to get up. Uh, so it was it was really tricky. <laughs> Yeah, and it seems to me like that section, and I'd love to hear sort of your perspective on this. Is um, you know we understand that it's super slippery, getting you know in and out of these islands, and people are falling under butts and breaking faces and hands and feet and stuff like that. Um, how like <laughs> what I'm worried about? You know, I, I definitely want to stay upright, but sort of especially towards the end when you're tired and cold. Um, I'd love to hear sort of your advice on like just making just making sure you're not going cowboy you're sure you're sure you're sure footed yeah that you're sure footed but also also like is there any is there anything that you wish you would have done like uh like more push-ups or burpees or or sort of strength training to sort of help you kind of muscle in and out of those of those um islands i actually never experienced it being so slippery um so uh, no we didn't have any problems getting in or out of the water um so uh, Oh, that's good then. Yeah. <laughs> we'll still be ready for it. <laughs> or we'll try to be. Pick the right shoes awesome. with a good sole. Um, so, um, yeah, no. Yeah, I, I've actually never felt it being so slippery. Um, but, yeah, help help each other get out of the water. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, let's, we, let's... we don't rush when we're trying to get out of the water either. So uh, maybe that's the difference compared to the top teams. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's That's pretty smart right there too. It's just like, I mean, cause that's what I'm worried about. Like, I, I feel like, we just have to stay upright. Yes, of course. <laughs> like, we don't. We don't need like a broken butt. Yeah. To to, to you know yeah. sidetrack us, I guess. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's that's actually that's actually really reassuring to hear that you know maybe maybe uh, on the videos they're just picking the hot takes of people slipping and sliding. Yeah. For uh, for drama. <laughs> maybe. We'll ask Rasmus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Let's shift a little and talk about gear. Uh, you you mentioned you you went sans arm sleeves the the first year, and that was to a little bit of regret there. And and the shoes with the slipping and the in the 
the traction and gear. Are you choosing shoes with, you know, pretty big lugs, like four type millimeter lugs? I know the VJ's shoes are pretty popular over in Europe, but we don't really have those over in the States. So we're trying to kind of sort out what what the locals are using uh, to traverse all the terrain. Yeah, I, I use the VJ. I rock shoes. And I've done that um, for 15, 20 years, maybe, because I had them when I did orienteering, uh, even before I started swim running. So uh, I've always been running in those shoes. Um, So, yeah. Maybe you should get someone to ship them over to you and you can try them out. I, I think yeah i mean i i, I think i think it. that you can get them here you just uh there just aren't a lot They're of people using common, them yeah no I, I, i've hardly ever slipped in those uh, so i think they're just amazing uh, wow yeah well that's a that's well, a ringing endorsement yeah. <laughs> hold on i'm getting my wallet out right now um, and then uh, in, in sort of other gear, you mentioned that you use like a soft flask to put to put your gels in and stuff. Um, are you wearing sort of an undershirt and then with multiple, you have like a flask for water as well or a cup for water? Like, um, what, what did you do yeah, sort of on that? Um, I only had that soft flask for gels and uh, I use a linen um, like a, with uh, some uh, pockets. Um, mm-hmm. And um, then I have the Arc Warner X. I had that last year. Uh, we saw a lot of people had that. That was a, yeah. a popular, <laughs> it seems like the, the ideal suit for, it was for amazing. the, it the was, conditions about Tala. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. easy to run in and uh, the um, the neoprene is thick enough. So I, I was never cold last year. Uh, nice. Yeah. That's good. Really good. That's okay. Really good. Um, do you have any sort of parting advice for us and for our listeners on like, hey, we're racing this race for the first time? Like, uh, yeah, just uh, the, my last advice would be that the night before, between Saturday and Sunday, try to get mm-hmm. really good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Last night yeah. will be difficult to sleep. Uh, yeah, I'll bet. So, I'll bet. So try to get That's a really a, good night's sleep between Saturday and Sunday. Because noted. You have to get up early. Uh, I think we yeah. So are on definitely no, no party or something. And uh, yeah, um, get your gear on before you go to the breakfast. That's a good advice. Oh. <laughs> we didn't okay. do it the first time, and then we really got into a rush. To put everything on after we had eaten, uh, so it was yeah. to actually put on everything uh, on and be ready, and then go and eat breakfast. Uh, yeah, that and and I could see that because the last thing you would want before the race even starts is to be stressed yep. out You're of like, your mind oh, to even be this, making the race. That. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, Chipper, hurry up, dude. Yeah. Plus, I don't even know if my wetsuit could fit after the breakfast that I hear they're serving. <laughs> <That's a good> <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'll take another I bowl of oatmeal, it. sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, muesli? Oh, sounds good. No, if they have semlas, then, then we're in trouble. Um, Anna, we really want to thank you for taking the time to come on. This was super instructive for us. And yeah, I mean, I guess we'll we'll meet you uh, in September, yeah. hopefully. I hope so. But, yeah. but again, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. All right. We'll see you later on this year then. Yeah. 
Well, there you have it. Anna is a two-time finisher of Atala. She's she's going back this year. Um, nice. Going to get was, that whole Ren in on Orno this time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel it. I feel yeah, it. Yeah, I, th- I thought her advice was really well taken and sort of just understanding, being mindful of cutoffs and where you should just just knowing what's happening around you, I think, was was super helpful. Yeah, and hear how she kind of managed through some times when it did get really tight, I guess, for her and, and her partner. It, it sort of was creeping up on them and sort of how they handled that from a, a mental point of view when the body wasn't wasn't doing the best that it could. And, and I, that was a really, really great thing because that could totally be our scenario too as well, totally. potentially. So we're, we're making sure that we're being prepared for that so thank you Anna again for taking the time to chat with definitely, us there definitely if that wasn't enough we got we a have, double dose we have another guest not just any guest not just any guest no. it's true it's true we have what we're, we've been calling sort of the walking sort of knowledge bomb mm-hmm. <laughs> just like a constant knowledge bomb <laughs> so we asked Andy Blow founder of Precision Fuel and Hydration to come on he's, uh, he's been on the show before he's a three time finisher of Atala and he basically came in to help us dial what we think we would all agree is a very important part of our race strategy, which mm-hmm. is going to be nutrition and hydration. Um, you know, we've had some issues with that in the past. Yep. We've Guilty. learned that we need to be fueling like way more <laughs> than we have been. But yeah, I mean, it was awesome for Andy to come on and just essentially tell us what to do, which is all I ever want in life is just tell me what I need to do. Yeah. And it was really good to get such a, a great perspective from someone that has done the race multiple mm-hmm. times and, uh, definitely performing well there, yeah. uh, and you know we've I've I've definitely struggled with the nutrition aspect and hearing that okay there is enough time five months out <laughs> we have time to work on it and this is something that personally I'm focused on I know Chris is yeah. focused on it as well um, making sure if if you're not putting gas in the tank for ten to fourteen hours you ain't gonna make it to the end yeah so I mean, we got to pay good you attention know, to if it if you heard last week's episode with um, you know with with Lars and Jonas, yeah. know, Jonas is, is having like 20 gels or 18 gels or something. They're like that. It's crazy. Those things it's down. crazy. Yeah. So, so, so this part of it, this is a more tactical discussion where we're talking about gut training. We're talking about how to get your, get your body ready to take that many calories, to have a good day, to make sure that you keep your energy levels high and Andy's awesome. Yes. Take it away. Andy Blow. All right, we're super stoked to have the one and only Andy Blow back on the show. The time that this show airs, we will be five months out from Atala, the Swimming World Championship. Our first, not Andy's. And uh, before we get started, you know, way back in episode 24, Andy came on. Chipper and I did the sweat test. We got some product from Precision Hydration. And I have to say, like, that's really changed the game for me in terms of, yep. you know, maybe it's hyperbolic to say life-changing. But in terms of race life-changing, it was definitely performance-changing. Like, I've had great results. I've been totally on top of my nutrition and hydration. And really, I mean, the, the only thing that changed was having Andy come on and learning about Precision Hydration. So, Andy, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate the invite. Always, as you know, always love talking swim run. <laughs> love it. We're the only place to do that. In yeah. town, so welcome aboard. <laughs> I love it. I love I'll it. Be, that'll be three of us then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you you are actually you're actually in the states, which is is nice that that you you got out of the UK for a little bit. And uh, so, how's it been? It's been a while since you've been to America, eh? Yeah, it has. It's been well exactly two years ago. I was here for wow. Catalina. Yeah, and yeah. when we came back, we heard about this airliner that had landed in LA, and there was some some like 
coronavirus thing Mm -hmm. and then then we flew home and then the world just you know shut down two and a bit years and now we're back yeah so it's it has it's actually delightful to be back we've had a really really good trip i've spent a couple of days in miami and tampa with um doing some work with major league baseball because their spring training is kicking off nice i love it and then and and also with a bunch of triathlete really nice bunch of guys and girls in miami triathlon club had a talk a chat with them and then i'm now as you know in the same time zone as you guys a little bit um further north up in portland oregon um yeah doing a few bits here before i fly home tomorrow Wow. Wow. Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, squeezing us in. Um, So precision hydration is no longer precision hydration. It's precision fueling and hydration, which is really important because it's like we've we've loved the gels. Now there's a new chew and everything. But can you before we get into sort of training for Atala, um, I mean, it sounds like it seems like the evolution. It was in sort of a natural evolution for the company to get into that space. Is, Is that is that how how you saw it from your side of things? Definitely. I mean, as you guys know from the previous chats, my Achilles heel as an athlete was probably more hydration than fueling related. And that was where we were very laser focused when we started with the sweat test and the sodium levels in the drinks, you know, being individualized. And that served as well for a number of years. But right from the day dot, we were having conversations with athletes about fueling as well, because mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, you can't talk about hydration with athletes and not talk about fueling so we always had those conversations but not so much in public you know it wasn't like a front-facing thing we were trying to you know extend our expertise in hydration and then during the we'd always talked about fueling and what people should do alongside it and how we might want to get into that but it was really the pandemic and the enforced time to focus on the business in the long run and we kind of had to stop all the day-to-day running around it created a lot of time and space and Mm -hmm. we sat down and we said well we're going to use this time fruitfully to you know to launch a fueling line of products and we we did that we launched a gel first of all and and a carbohydrate drink and then what we thought was we're going to have to see how these go and see what people think of them and the early reception to them was amazing you know really really strong and it was kind of at that point we we felt that then there it necessitates a name change for the business because for people who bump into us for the first time or even existing customers it's kind of clunky and difficult to explain if we're mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're called precision hydration but we also do these fueling products and so you know as you can tell we spent a ton of money on a really expensive <laughs> yeah, the, the, the rebrand was top notch <laughs> <laughs> to come up with this like incredibly cool new name precision fueling hydration but we have this we have this advert that used to be on the tv in the uk for a fence painting you know a fence uh, varnish thing that was mm-hmm. called Ronson. it says it does exactly what it says on the tin and then that was the that was kind of the approach that we we thought we thought people if you'd read the name you know what we do you, no need to overthink it and i remember when the gels first came out chris and i were really stoked to to try some out and luckily we were racing odyssey austin at was that in 20 uh, i think it was casco or was it casco in them, 20 yeah. and we we grabbed some we saw them at an aid station and I took a, a fistful of them because I'm like, I need a few of these later to take home to back to yeah. training with me. But popped it open, literally never try anything new on race day. Let me toss this gel down the hatch, see how it goes. I guess you can see who uh, between Chris and I needs the most help on the fueling and hydration <laughs> side already. But um, I was immediately delighted. Yeah, by, they were great. They were delightful. The texture and the taste is amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome to the point where that was a Casco at Orcas Island. My my fueling strategy was to go shopping at the first aid station for a couple yeah. couple gels to throw on once I confirmed that they were going to be on the course. Yeah, and now the jumbo gels as well, which is the the ninety. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this. Uh, but yeah, so so we're talking about Atala, where the Swimrun World Championship. We're we're five months out from this behemoth of an endurance event uh, that we're looking forward to. And, and Chris is dialed in on his nutrition and hydration. I have a little bit of work to be done. I had a, I did Orcas Island at six, how long, what was that? Six and a half something hours out there. I had trouble for the vast majority of it, uh, what some people refer to as a bonk. Um, but I really kind of put myself into back into school on that. You know, I thought I kind of had it figured out. Oh, I've done ultra runs and this kind of thing. Um, but now I think I realize I've really been under under fueling and I've been trying yeah. to kind of increase that. So what, you know, quote unquote, training your gut, is this something that you kind of advise to um, endurance athletes that need to get back on track with, with a fueling plan? Yeah, we. I, I would say based on the experience we've had and my own experience back in the past, um, certainly doing Ironman and then the longer Ertelo races, I would say most athletes tend to underfuel rather than overfuel. And as a rule, that's not, it's not obviously everyone. Some people get it right. And I'm sure there will be cases of a few people overdoing it. But if you, I would, I would say you're going to see 60 or 70% of people at least under, under fueling. And so part of that, I think is just lack of knowledge about how, just how high the levels of energy intake could be to support your performance or should be and part of it is this whole thing that you've mentioned about gut training and like people people and i'm the same everyone's nervous about eating too much or drinking too much and having stomach problems because we know that they can be race ending so matt dixon and i chatted about this recently and we were both saying look 10 years ago we were advising athletes to be frugal about what they ate because avoiding um, gut problems was seen as a really high priority there's been a bit of a mind shift change in a lot of athletes, especially at the front end of races now where there's an active um, sort of push to eat, eat more calories, taking more carbohydrates because time and time again, when you're really pushing your endurance envelope, when it's above three, four, five hours, then there's a strong correlation between being, being able to eat, consume and digest more calories and being stronger towards the end and what all of us want to be is feeling reasonably good in hours you know six seven eight nine or whatever because it's a long enough day when you're not feeling amazing when you're really dying on your backside it's it's horrid and you know the dynamics we all know as well the dynamics of a team race a pairs race super important that you both try to stay on top of it because you can only move as fast as the slowest person you know You've probably got seats on the plane home next to each other, so you still want <laughs> friends when you fly home. And and if one of you is like really struggling, it can genuinely be hard to keep your team together. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me ask you. So it seems like there used to be all this talk about hey, you want to be fat adapted and all this stuff, and oh, you should you shouldn't have to rely on gels because you can just burn your own fat that you have on board. And I mean, I have plenty of it, but um, it seems like you know, talking about, hey, you should try to be able to take as many calories as you can um, and up kind of what you're doing, especially for these longer events. Now, what, what do you think has sort of changed the, the thinking there? Or is there a change of thinking? Is it six of one, half a dozen of the other? I would say, so going back in the 90s, say, 
the the carbs were were the were the thing you know there wasn't much talk about being fat adapted it was all about carbohydrate and there was this kind of notional ceiling of maybe 60 grams of carbs per hour was seen as the research was tended to indicate that that was a a high amount of carbs for athletes to take in the in the 2000s and beyond a lot of elite athletes that i don't think the the trend towards taking in a lot of carbs has changed at the really sharp end of most elite sports so tour de france riders elite marathon runners this and that we've not seen in reality a huge shift away from that what we've seen them is a gradual increase in the amount of carb that maybe the average top person's taking i would say in the perception of the rest of the world the rest of us and the casual observer is that there's been this big push towards fat adaptation keto diets and that kind of thing because they've that that the idea of living low carb and even athletically training low carb has become massive on social media in the press you know there's a lot of chat about it and i think you know ultra running is a huge world where that is really really prevalent Mm -hmm. and i have well i actually wrote a piece about fasted training which is kind of not the same thing but crosses over with fat adapted training recently and spoke to like ultra running coaches like jason coop and dina griffin who's a a nutritionist in colorado who works with a lot of ultra runners to get their opinions on it and everyone was saying the same thing it's like fat adaptation is is a thing and there is a, there are probably a cohort of people, certainly in day to day life, for whom it's a really good strategy. But for high performance endurance athletes, it's often a not a great strategy, and it's certainly not what any of the elite athletes are doing. We really don't see hardly any elite athletes, you know, doing low carb because at the end of the day, to oxidize your carbohydrate at a high rate when you're exercising that's what gives you the best efficiency because you use less oxygen to go fast and also it's it allows you to keep you know your brain well fed with glucose which makes you feel good and feel sharp and you know you can trug along all day on fat adaptation you know no no question but you're not going to go all that fast as soon as you start getting up above 60 70 percent vo2 max it's really really difficult to perform without burning because you your body switches to burning the fast fuels and so like anything i think there's there's extremists on both camps i mean do you want to be burnt you know, do you want to take carbohydrates in all of your sessions all of the time no matter what i wouldn't agree with that but i certainly wouldn't agree with the stance of saying you know you want to limit carbohydrates in your hardest and longest training sessions and races because you are that is just like putting an artificial limiter on your performance yeah that's, so, that's a great way to think about yeah. it I, that yeah that's really interesting how do you why how do you why do you think that the sort of the pointy end is as we said kind of steer clear of these for lack of a better word food or consumer driven kind of trends is it because they have the resources to have such a deep like science backing with all their research and everything and they're like we haven't seen it or, or how is the the pointy end able to uh steer clear of all the the trends like the keto or low carb or whatever it might be yeah i I don't think they it's anything more complicated than they do the shit that works they (laughs) trial and error things so so that's what happens at the elite pointy end of most things is that the people doing the, the the really difficult stuff really pushing themselves as hard as they can they skip a meal and then try and train and they blow and then the next time they learn and they don't skip a meal they eat three gels an hour instead of two gels an hour during a race and go faster. And then they try four gels an hour to see if they'll go even faster. And it's, 
it's like a whittling process of yeah. years of trial and error. And where you see the vast majority of these athletes end up is on, if they've got heavy training loads, very high carbohydrate diets and very high carbohydrate intakes during races. So I actually, even though there's this often a perception that elite, elite athletes have access to information or knowledge that the rest of us don't, I, I don't see that as particularly true. I would say it's, it's, it's trial and error and and then it, it's evolution of ideas the the strongest ideas survive and carbohydrates for fast endurance athletes have survived you know a hundred years now. <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense um now well let's talk let's talk about Atala. so this where we're talking you know if we're lucky a 10 hour <laughs> 10 hour event if we're you know having a day 14 15 hour event um you've raced this this race before we're dealing with cold weather you're dealing with potentially rough water swims tough terrain um the woods scrambling and stuff how should we be thinking about an event of this magnitude without you know obviously without trying to put it on some pedestal so we're freaking ourselves out but how do how do we take something that's such a massive day in terms of endurance and think about well how are we going to fuel for something like this yeah it it's it is an epic event and there are lots of variables to consider i think if we start with the fueling side rather than the hydration that's kind of more consistent because it doesn't get affected as much by the weather and, and stuff mm. But you, your fueling starts, you know, at least sort of seventy-two hours out from the event. So you're going to going to be eating more simple or at least not highly fibrous carbohydrates. So that's extra servings of you know white bread and um, or, or pasta or rice or whatever your favourite kind of things are with with your main meals in the last two three days, because that's what tops off your glycogen stores and your muscles. And if you're a well trained athlete, which you guys are, then you end up with super compensated glycogen stores. So your glycogen stores need to be like massively topped off because during that day you are going to rip through all of those stores, all of them, and then some, <laughs> yeah, and some. So basically, an extra. 20 30 grams of carbs stored is like rocket fuel on the day so i'd say that's super important uh, and that includes by the way i would say even though it's an inhumanly early start for the race i would be maximizing breakfast you know with and and i always tend to go for and i hear a lot of other people recommend you know low fiber carbohydrates so the kind of opposite to the stuff you would be recommending to eat for a healthy diet because what you don't want is loads of fiber sitting in your gut because that's weight and that's also just going to make you want to go to the toilet in the race which you obviously don't want so you kind of go for the simple processed stuff that you would perhaps normally avoid if you were trying to eat a more healthy diet um so so we're talking like white bread um you know cereal bars yeah okay oatmeal um with sugar and whatever really it's like basically just kind of fuel for the engine yeah you hear that chipper stay away from like the quinoa like sorghum ancient grains bowl for breakfast no ancient grains for breakfast <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll stick to yeah. my i got i like the picky oats that they yeah, have picky oats yeah those are well, good yeah yeah that's ex- yeah absolutely that that sort of thing is absolutely perfect and then that basically stops at breakfast obviously and then you're going to get into the race um, itself i'm a guy who likes to have a gel in the last 15 minutes before the start some people do some people don't but that is because the the, the simple theory on that is that you are full of adrenaline before the start and it takes about 15 minutes for 
the sugar in a gel to go through your stomach into your bloodstream so it's accessible and in that first 10 15 20 minutes you will be burning a really savage amount of energy because you are going to be fired up you know you are the heart rate yeah you're going to be nervous and so that just gives you a little bit of extra there and then yeah go on on, yeah i well i I'm just going to stop here. I feel like kind of some of the old wisdom that I've heard is like, oh, you don't want to have a gel right before the race because it spikes your blood sugar and then you're going to have a crash and that kind of thing. So it sounds like a little bit or you're you're banking on the bigger breakfast that you had to kind of provide you a little longer, slower burning fuel. And then the gel is not necessarily a huge spike in in that. Or what's the thinking behind that? It it will still spike you. But that if you time the spike correctly, the thing not to do probably is have a gel 45 minutes before the start. That's okay. why I'm saying like very specifically have it in the last 10 or 15 minutes because by the time your engine is running hot, you'll be burning the fuel. So you don't get this big insulin release. When you start exercising, you see the insulin release is not as, is not as strong. Um, mm-hmm. which is what brings your sugar levels down. And there are people, there are a few people, it's called rebound hyperglycemia is what you're talking about, where you get a big spike and a big crash. And there are a few people that happens too. And I guess you just kind of have to learn in training, a bit of trial and error is that before big sessions, if you bang a gel and with 10 minutes to go and you do feel you know, crappy after 20 minutes, then it, if that happens a few times, it might not be for you. Okay. But I would say in my experience with people, I would always say to them, look, at least try this out because the bottom line is you've got a window during that race of getting calories in. And we, when we do an athlete's nutritional breakdown for a race, we always consider that pre 15 minutes pre as kind of their in race intake as well. And that's an extra 30 grams of carbs or whatever that you you've consumed. And all that we know for sure is that by the end of the day, you are going to be out of fuel. So, you know, more fuel, basically better. Right. I'm on board. I'm glad we're starting this five months out because we have enough time to practice. Like, yeah, it's a huge component well, of it. So I think that's that's a big takeaway from smart, it, right? I don't know what happened, but we look like we yeah. know. What's the, going thing, on? the thing is, you know, I I even amaze myself now thinking back to how I would have approached this, you know, ten fifteen years ago, and I wasn't doing all of these things quite right. And it's the what's accelerated my learning with this is I've done Otolo a few times since then, but also worked with a ton of athletes that are doing that and other types of events and you just see these trends and you know i'll probably keep saying it to the point where it gets boring but the, just basically to a degree more consumption more calories without making you feel sick is better it's going to be better they're just there's yeah. just the, the the level of energy expenditure is so high and the time during a swim run race for the to get the energy in is relatively low because we spend a lot of time in the water you know, it's like, what is it, 7Ks or is it even 10Ks? 10Ks. 10Ks of swimming, isn't it? Yeah. I blanked out for it. <laughs> it's the pig swim. I, blank, I blanked it out. But there, it's, you know, so you can't obviously eat and drink in those times. There's a lot of other times when you're scrambling over rocks and doing other stuff. So when you, the, the time to eat is quite limited. So, or relatively limited compared with in a in a normal kind of endurance race certainly compared with a triathlon or something so you know getting getting your fueling in early and relatively aggressively is probably a big part of the strategy and i i reckon if i was going to you know, tell you guys what to do one thing that i didn't do it would be to carry a few more gels and a few more chews or whatever from the start so that you can have the luxury of kind of not worrying about 
oh, I better save a couple because I don't know how far it is to the next aid session. When you get into that mentality, you, you're you doing it all wrong. It's like when you it's like when the gas needle is like really close to low and you suddenly start having to drive at 30 instead of 60. Or, or put it in neutral when you're going downhill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you don't yeah. want to be doing that. You want to be fueling. So, yeah. you know, carry quite a few. I know it's difficult with swim run, but the things like those PF90 gels that we have in the pouches would be absolutely perfect for that because you can tuck a couple of those under, you know, each arm or whatever. And, yeah, I actually just tried those at the LA Marathon. Um, I had like the 90 and, uh, and I was just like holding it. And it was great. I mean, it's so good. I mean, the hardest part for me was trying not to drink not the, to whole the whole thing. thing. And and yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a swig. I, maybe that's 30 grams. You know, I, I don't know what it was, but it was delicious. And I managed to, it lasted for, for a good portion, maybe three quarters of the race. But, um, but, but so, so we've gotten some advice from people that have raced Atala where they're like, yep, try to get your calories in early. Definitely want to take a gel right before the pig swim. You want to take a lot of nutrition when you get on Orna. Um, and and would you say like we should just sort of decouple our fueling from where the eight stations are and just be like, all right, every 30 minutes we got to get something. Eight station is just kind of a bonus thing, but not not be like, hey, let's just because we've done this at races. We did this at Casco, which is like, hey, we're just going to take a gel at every eight station. And maybe there were yeah. maybe that made sense then. But for something like this where, you know, who knows how long it's going to take? We don't know. Would, would you say that that strategy would make sense kind of decoupling it all? A little bit, I would say. You're going to have to, in a race of that length, rely on the aid stations to a degree because you, you're probably going to struggle to carry everything you need to get you through the day in good shape. But I would I would say for you guys, it's going to be, if you're using something like our gels, which are 30 grams of carbs, you're going to be in the zone of two to three of those per hour, you know, between 60 and 90 grams per hour. And that, so if we were, took the upper one of that and you did 10 hours, that's like 30 gels. You're not going to carry 30 gels. Yeah. Um, so you might carry though, you know, I think I'll have to check back, but I reckon I maybe carried like eight or nine when I did it last time. And I probably would have even now go for a bit more than that, you know, like hmm. 10 or 12, because the, the, although it's a bit bulky to begin with having the reassurance that you can do that. And then you can pick off at aid stations when you, when you need to, and like, replenish mm-hmm, is a good mm-hmm. idea and i agree wholeheartedly with what those people have told you about making sure that you get some savage calories in before the long swims because the drop in body temperature and then you i've come out the pig swim twice when it's been a cold year and been literally like sh- gibbering shivering can't open a packet you know and it takes three four k's to warm up and you, that means you can go for a solid hour easily mm-hmm. without eating or drinking anything if you're not careful yeah. which then you is not a good behind, place yeah. to me. So, so like timing it, knowing where you are. We wrote, we just got some light colored hand paddles and wrote the, each of the sections on the hand paddles and then had a bit of an idea where we were going to pick up food or where we were going to eat. And before the long swims, there was a lot of chat between JP and I, who I was racing with last time where it's like, we're going to have a gel now because we're getting in the water in five minutes and maybe you'd even have two if you could you know, it was, it was sort of, yeah, yeah. Th- that that's general theme of like early, early and aggressive with the fueling is a good one. Okay. So, so before we get to, to sort of training for this, can we, can we talk a little about hydration? Like, you know, we've yeah. heard you can drink the water cause you know, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff, you can drink the ocean water. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think we're pretty comfortable. We know what our protocol is sort of the night before a swim run, yeah. but 
you know, this swim run is going to be twice as long as anything we've done. So does, does that protocol change at all? Not, not really. You can't, you, you know, if you, if you prehydrate to the best of your ability, you know, have a electrolyte drink the night before one in the morning, drinking more is only going to result in peeing more, feeling more uncomfortable. And you kind of, unlike with the carb loading you can't fluid load anywhere near as effectively so you have a very strong electrolyte drink the night before you have one with your breakfast in the morning and i would probably on the ferry ride you know to the start i'm kind of sipping on another one as i feel i need to but other than that it's kind of business as usual and then the the hydration requirement of otolo is massively dictated by the weather you know you Mm -hmm. could you could if you had a cold year and the water's cold you're not going to sweat much all day long, even running in that wetsuit, because it's just, you know, the air temperature and and combined with a low body temperature from being in the water for extended periods, you could probably do it relatively light on fluids and electrolytes, it, albeit light for a 10 hour event. <laughs> relatively I've, I've, light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done it in other years where I did it one year. Maybe it was the first time I did it. I can't, but one year I did it and it was glorious weather and it was really quite hot. I mean, not like savagely hot, but hot enough when you're running in a wetsuit. Like the the long run was really hot because it was later in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, when the first time we did it, we had triathlon wetsuits that were cut down. So we weren't kind of taking them off very much because it was really difficult to do and difficult to get them back on. So we did a lot of the running with a really thick, like three, five Ooh. mil wetsuit on. Amazing. And yeah, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty nasty. And in those conditions, you have to be really smart and do things like have a soft flask with you before that long run. There's an aid station normally on the pontoon before you get in the water. And we were having a full drink, you know, taking a full 16, 18 ounces at that aid station, refilling the the bottle, mm-hmm. the soft flask inside the wetsuit. Cause it's only a short swim across to the other side and then carrying that and making sure we drank that on the run. And I, and I think even doing that, on that long run because the aid station is so far into it i've been horridly thirsty every time i've got there which which does tell you that you are by that point losing performance undoubtedly mm. so i think that's a big consideration is is hydrating up in advance of the long run and then i mean the, the thing about drinking the water you 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 can and i have like taken a few sips but it's really really difficult thing to do while you're swimming because obviously you're trying to breathe and stuff so you know, i guess it depends you know, on the swell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i mean if it's on the swell you might get forced head quite yeah. um but I, I would say try to you know, that's again it's part of the trial and error process in the next few months is going out and avidly recording during your longer training sessions how much you're drinking what you weigh after before what you weigh afterwards how much weight you're losing how do you feel when you're losing a lot of body weight through sweating? Is that negatively affecting your performance? And then adjusting the amount that you drink in sessions to try to figure out. So you can come in, so you can at least go into that race with an idea of, am I like a 16 ounces an hour kind of guy or am I 24 ounces an hour kind of guy? Or what's? Mm-hmm. And the great thing about carrying a soft flask and doing all you're drinking out of that is at least you can have a f- fairly accurate idea of how much you are consuming whereas people that are using cups at the aid stations it's fi- it's kind of fine you're getting liquid in but you're not very it's not a very accurate way of calibrating what you're doing right yeah um, cer- certainly a huge thing that i would recommend is is every aid station where there's a significant run after it 
take a full flask from that aid station. You don't have to drink it all, but it's no stress to run with it in your hand. And if you end up dumping a bit out before you get in the next swim, so be it. But yeah, take your time. Rather have more than be way undercooked. Yeah, definitely. Now, not to go back all the way back to what what we were having for breakfast, but where does caffeine sort of play a role in this? I, I know you've, you've talked about it a little bit before. I am uh, love coffee and stuff, and I know they have different caffeinated gels, some with more caffeine than others that'll make your pupils jump out of your, off your face. Yeah. So where, where does that work for you? And obviously that's something that you'll probably want to work in practice, but, but where does caffeine kind of fit into it? Yeah, I think, I think caffeine's useful in a long race like that. If you are a habitual coffee drinker and you use caffeine generally you certainly wouldn't want to probably abstain from it because that is going to be that is going to make you feel quite lousy um so i would i would say caffeinate as you normally do before the race so if you would normally get up and have a coffee or two then i would i would do that on race morning the thing the thing about caffeine is that it's it is unlike carbohydrate which is kind of in burnt and kind of you know sort of out the other side caffeine the way it works is it gets into your system and it's a stimulant. It works on the brain and the nervous system, and it and it is metabolized and it decays and it has a half life. So it kind of drops away as it's metabolized. Different people's speed of metabolization of caffeine is different, but the as you know, the, the rough guidance is always about five hours or so is probably the half life of caffeine for most people. Which by, what that means is that it will be half. It will have disappeared by half after five hours and so in a long race it's a bit like going to a bar and you know drinking and you don't want to go to the bar and get drink so much you get super drunk immediately so it's not smashing loads of caffeine but you want to keep just having a drink you know every here and there just to keep yourself keep your buzz on yeah keep yourself in the mood you know and (laughs) caffeine's the same you you don't want to hit it too hard and then let it drop but so it's a case of probably caffeinating like normal before the race and then i would say cap a caffeinated gel normally has somewhere between 50 and 100 milligrams of caffeine in it. And a, an espresso is usually quoted as being around 70 milligrams or something like that. So if you had one or two of the caffeine gels, you know, in an hour, if you're a regular coffee user, that's, you know, if they're the lower strength ones, that's probably not a bad thing. You might bump that to one every couple of hours if they're a stronger one something like that and that's probably just going to drip enough caffeine in but caffeine takes about 15 minutes to get into your bloodstream but it takes about 40 minutes to peak in your bloodstream Hmm. so a a real tactic that some people fall down on is they'll start thinking really late in the race i need some caffeine and by that time it's probably is a bit too Too late. late you know you're better off kind of getting your levels up and keeping them up rather than I know we're not talking about a marathon, but the classic one is people who smash caffeine at 20 miles into a marathon. It's probably not even in fully in their system until they, after they cross the line. So, so it's kind of ramp it up and then just drip, drip some in and and keep it up. Yeah. That's a, that's, I mean, that's, that's a knowledge bomb right there. Um, Now let me ask you, Andy. So we're, we're five months out from the race um, how should we be thinking about our training? I know you alluded to on our long runs and our long swim run sessions, make sure we're sort of keeping track, try to take more nutrition, try, basically try to take as many gels as we can, try to do two an hour at least, um, yeah. work on our hydration and then sort of keep track. Can you just give us a little bit more of a roadmap on what you think we should do? Yeah, I think it's it's a case of 
or what we, we just always call it organized trial and error. So what you've described there, it's, it's making sure in the longer, the, the training sessions that most closely simulate the intensity and duration of the, the race. Obviously, I appreciate when you're doing a 10-hour race, there'll be few that go for anywhere near that duration. But I'm talking about stuff which is kind of beyond two hours probably for you guys. It's it's really is a case of religiously caffeinate, um, caffeinating and having a gel that 15 minutes before having prehydrated as you would for the race taking in two slash three gels or whatever the format is it doesn't have to be gels it's like 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour early on recording that seeing if it's better for you whether you take it all in kind of a big hit or whether you take three doses you know dose every 20 minutes or so and then evaluating immediately after the the sessions over writing down you know details about how did your stomach feel how did you perform did you feel like you were craving sugar and wanted more energy did you feel like you were a bit sick sicky and like you'd had too much and just building up that mental database of how you perform on on different levels and if you do that the great thing is with five months to go you can do kind of i would say like fact finding for the next three months and then the final two months, you should have it a oh, bit yeah. more locked in. And then what you move to is what you mentioned, Chipper, which is like gut training, which is then settling on, okay, well, if this is the level I can comfortably do, if I'm a 60 grams an hour guy, and I've kind of established that with a bit of trial and error, let's see if I can push myself up to be a 70 or 75 grams by incrementally turning the screw for eight weeks. Because that's the kind of time frame that seems to be effective for people it's if you it's like training most physiological systems in the body you know when you do when you start training like six weeks later you see quite a big effect generally don't you and and it's sort of a it's a very broad but decent rule of thumb to say if you want to kind of change the body a little bit then doing something for five six seven eight weeks is a sensible time period to expect to be able to affect to change and so if you guys use 12 weeks of a bit more randomized playing around trial and error, recording the the numbers. And then when you think you know where you're at, then turning the screw in your big sessions to, to train yourself up yeah. on it. I think that would be an incredibly useful thing, the process to undergo. And one that basically I can assure you that 95% of the rest of the field won't be doing and it so it give you a competitive advantage. Well, well, I guess we won't be able to release this show then. <laughs> we'll have to hold it back. <laughs> well, actually Chipper, you started doing this. I've noticed where you were just at least just, on my Strava just just putting in yep. just like yep. a little note what you're taking for nutrition and hydration and or fueling, you know, as a Yeah, and then Strava also has the little like how does this feel like easy all the way to super hard and I guess you can kind of dictate some other things but uh, so, I mean, essentially, like if we're doing a, we usually do our big swim runs on Saturday. So uh, if we're going to focus on, uh, you know, race pace swims and quick transitions and fueling at three gels an hour or whatever, it's just another part of our practice and our, our yeah. strategy essentially uh, is how you kind of have to build it into everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still think that everyone sort of, I don't, I don't want to say quite rightly, but understandably the big focus is on conditioning isn't it always it's like and equipment you know equipment probably gets more than its fair share of the look in because we all like new kit and we all want to talk about whether the 
arc wetsuit is faster than the roka wetsuit or the head wetsuit or whatever and in my experience you know not to put any of those things down as long as your kit is comfortable and fits you you know i've done otolo in different types of shoes different types of wetsuits and uh, and that's not what makes a defining difference your kit can can fail and horribly let you down or if you're really unlucky it can like fit you badly or something like that and then that can cause you problems blisters or rubs or just a, a poor stroke but that aside the kind of conditioning gets all of the look in and the, the fueling and hydration pieces is a very rush job very close to the race and so i just think that changing that emphasis and as you're as you're already doing in your mind you know, and recording it in strava is perfect because you can just like mouse back through that and look and it's like you know it's it's obvious then you see these pictures build up you don't you don't have to be a full-on spreadsheet guy to get this right you know you can you can just take enough notes to remind you and and it'll help awesome i love it well I think it's really easy for people to say, oh, I have the perfect plan and you can have it all written out on your paddles and all this stuff. But that rarely does a race ever go perfect or unfold amazing for everybody. What is sort of your your recommended protocol for when you do start to feel a bonk on oncoming or you're you're in one? What should you do? Do you stop and sit down the side of the road or do you try to get as much calories in? What what do you recommend to, to athletes that you're working with? Yeah, when I was when I was younger and less experienced, I would just you know either get really angry or upset and lose all hope and try to give up, you know, yeah. and which is clearly not a, a very good strategy. And I think what I've recognised as I've as I've got older and more experienced with races is that you have to sort of be as unemotional about it as you can, which is difficult because in a race that you've trained for really, really hard and means a lot, and especially if your partner's going strong, when your performance starts to tail off and go downhill, it's a really depressing thing to happen. But what you have to kind of quickly do is I always try to think of it as like jumping into more like an objective problem solving mode. And the first thing you do when you've got a big problem to overcome is you, you assess the situation and, a great thing if you've gone into it at least with a plan for hydration and fueling and some knowledge of what what's worked for you in training the first thing i start to do is like backtrack for the last 90 minutes or two hours and start to think how much have i realistically eaten and drunk how much electrolyte have i taken in what symptoms am i showing and you know because the what i'm going to do if I've already been smashing 90 grams of carbs an hour is different to if I've only managed to get 40 in because if I'm down at 40, there's a very good indication that more energy consumption will take 15 or 20 minutes to get in, but that's going to then help me come out the other side. If I've taken loads on already, but throwing more on top is probably not the right answer. So you kind of need this rolling ledger in your head of what you've been doing because the principally probably the the two or three main ways you can screw your race up or feel like that is that are in your control is not eating or drinking enough, eating or drinking too much of, of one element or pacing it wrong. And you, you can f- hydrate and fuel really well, but if your pace is 10% quicker than what you've trained for, no amount of fueling and hydration can make up for that. So in that scenario, if you're really starting to blow, you've got to be humble and you've got to just back off and you've got to, you've got to accept that even the most experienced of us get excited and carried away and go off too hard and, and then just deal with it. You know, you, you can't kind of go back and correct that one other than slowing down. 
But if, if on the other hand, your problem is a bit more related to, well, I've only drunk 200 mils an hour and I know I should be at 500. Well, there's kind of an obvious fix. But normally it involves like slowing down, assessing, talking with your partner and then trying things out. Try eating more if that's what your instinct is to, to, to do. And then allow 15 or 20 minutes for things to like kick in and hopefully you start to climb out the hole. It's, it's, that's the mindset yeah. which I would approach it, I would think. And and that's why it's so great to to track it and have uh, knowledge of that too is, oh, I've trained and oh, yes, I am under because oh, I looked on my paddle. I should have had eight gels and only had two. Uh, that's yeah. a problem. It's the same way. Oh, we never train at seven minute per mile pace. I, we usually run eight, so <laughs> I can't yeah. hold this pace. So yeah. uh, having your nutrition and your fueling tied into your practice and paying more attention to it, I guess, is the the best way to to know the to problem solve the quickest sounds like yeah absolutely and i think i think i've always said i said this to jp when we we went into it i said to him at some point today like one or both of us is going to just be having a horrible time so we all go hopefully not at the same time (laughs) yeah no exactly it never is is it it's always like one and then the other and and i said one thing that i'll say is like when i'm having a horrible time i'll kind of i'll tell you and we'll we'll deal with it and please don't get too upset by that and i will try not to get upset when you're slowing me down or whatever and feeling grumpy and just like if you if you really if we're really not happy with each other or the situation like let's not fall out you know we can run along in silence for a bit or whatever but let's let's kind of work through this and yeah and that and sure enough in the race you know we were on the we were on the long run bit and on and james is a little bit fitter than me and you know kind of you can tell he's like going at my pace rather than the other way around and we didn't speak very much and at one point he kind of was drifting across the road and bumping my elbow a little bit and I was ready to like smack him with a paddle or something like that but you but you just have to retain that mindset of actually you know no we're all in this together yeah and one thing I would always say is like you see a lot of people out on the course at different times and honestly no matter how bad your race is going there will be people whose race is going worse than yours. And and we, James and I were running like two minutes per kilometer slower than we thought we would be on the long run and dying on our backsides. And then we're going up this hill and then we overtake this couple that are like fighting with each other and struggling and just even, you know, they are having the most horrific time. And as, as horrible a thing as it is to say, you kind of get a bit of energy from that because you're like, ah, at least that's not us. <laughs> that's <laughs> not us. <laughs> And then, and then the other thing I can guarantee you'll see at Otolo at some point on the course is you'll run through the woods and there'll be one swimming paddle on the floor and you'll be like, at least I'm not that guy. <laughs> at least I have both my paddles and my goggles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andy, I mean, I don't know how we can thank you. I mean, you helped us tremendously when you came back on the show. When you came on the show, episode 24, you're helping us now. We're super stoked to be, you know, to have you guys supporting us through this whole effort. And, um, yeah, just thank you so much for taking the time. This was so so freaking useful. Uh, yeah, no, I think yeah, I think you guys are doing a great you're doing a great job. Not only in what you're doing with this prep five months out and all the rest of it, but promoting the sport, promoting you know it's because it's still a niche sport. It's a it's a, it's a small deal, and we yeah we love swim run at precision fuel and hydration. So anything we can do to to help out, and I hope we can make it. We've said before, we hope we can make it to San Francisco and come and actually swim and run with you guys this year, which looks like it it might actually happen now that the, the flights are back on. Don't so, tempt that's us. Right. That's Don't right. Tempt us. Well, open, open invitation. That's for sure. 
cool. No, th- thanks. And um, yeah, keep in touch if there's anything else we can help with. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Again, I use two notepads. <laughs> there was so much, so much goodness coming out from there. And I, I when we were chatting with him, I'm like, okay, shit, I got to remember this. I got to remember this. I got to remember this. But I mean, just just such a wealth of information and, and knowledge there um, from from Andy there. And and we a few things we wanted to note as well. We chatted about a couple articles within that that we'll have in the show notes. Also, there was a great um, webinar that. Andy Blow did with Matt Dixon of Purple Patch Fitness. Now, Purple Patch sounds familiar. Coach John Stevens, coach, senior coach Mike senior O. Coach. Uh, they are all Purple Patch coaches. So uh, had a great conversation with Matt Dixon, the founder of Purple Patch Fitness, and Andy Blow. So we'll link that webinar. It's about an hour long. Uh, another, another great thing. And I've just been pouring over the PH site and absorbing everything I can because nothing but just amazing useful knowledge coming from that crew. yeah yeah i mean it's 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 been a huge game changer just just on the hydration side and now really focusing more on the fueling side as well i think it's gonna it's gonna be awesome so yeah so we hope you found this episode interesting we're again we're putting it out there happy to get any feedback you can dm us you can send us an email lowtideboys at gmail.com and let us know what you think if you're racing and you have questions we might even be starting like a support group like a Utala world <laughs> championship support group um but yeah that's the show and yeah we'll do it again when we're four months out with more guests as we prepare for Utala, the swim run world championship see you in a month or next week for a regular yeah. show yeah that too <laughs> <laughs> well that's it for this week's episode thanks so much for listening to the show Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review since that's the best way to help other people discover the show and the support of Swim Run. Sign up for a newsletter at lowtideboys.com. That's boys with a Z. And check out our meme page at the Low Tide Boys on Instagram. If you have any suggestions for the show or questions for us, send us a DM or an email at lowtideboys at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Riding Easy Records for our show music and, of course, our wives for their support and tolerance of all our swim run activities, podcast, and other stuff. Yeah, other stuff. Other way stuff. To, way to keep it PG. Finally, you can support our efforts on Patreon. Until next time, get out there and go for a swim. Go for a run. Then another swim. Then another run. And then another swim. And then another run. And then just keep going. So you're done. So you're done. Or maybe can't stop, stop all stuff. <laughs>